Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And I have a question for all of you HR and people leaders out there. When was the last time you looked forward to the tedious, manual, time-consuming process of what you call HR reporting? Guess what? No HR leader looks forward to that. You know why? Because a lot of it requires you to pull messy spreadsheets from a lot of different HR systems and try to turn that into something where you can tell a data-driven story across your workforce. But you're always thinking, why does it take me so long? Why is it so hard? There must be a better way. And there is. That's why Employee Cycle created your very own people dashboard. We have pre-built connectors to all the most popular HR systems you're using out there. Bamboo HR, ADP, Namely, 15.5, Greenhouse, Reflective, too many for me to say without losing my breath. We simply connect all your HR systems to our people dashboard, pull in all your data so that you can view, share, track, and analyze all your people data together in one place. Check out EmployeeCycle.com. You can get a demo and explore how we can help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Christopher Peterson, the SVP of People and Culture at Dagger. And today we're going to discuss which areas of the business should the new HR leader oversee. Christopher, welcome to the podcast. of there being more people cheering me on. But uh, Bruce, thanks for having me. Hello, everyone out there listening. I am slightly offended. What? You said the illusion. There are so many cheerleaders here for you that are so excited (laughs) for you to be here. I'm going to believe you. I'm just going to believe you. How about that? (laughs) Got it. So Christopher, thanks so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate it. And we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how. And so I'm going to ask you, Christopher, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Yeah, oh, this is a sorted, well, sorted is dramatic, um, but it's a, it's a not uncomplicated story. I, I started my professional life um, in the space of retail uh, and retail management, and I grew um, uh, pretty, pretty quickly in that space. Um, I took a few twists and turns. I was a flight attendant. I did hair. You named it. Um, I was uh, all over the place uh, for a while. And uh, before I landed in more of a corporate uh, HR role, and I, I do believe that I landed there because throughout my career and all of those twists and turns that I described up front, um, I'd had a, a pretty singularly themed career rise um, and, and, and track uh, of success throughout retail, throughout, you name it, all of my odd jobs. I'd always been really, really focused on, really committed to, and really good at the people um, and people management stuff. So no matter what job I had, 
I cared most about um, how we were building teams that were highly effective and full of happy, growing people. So when I landed that first kind of half halftime corporate HR gig, I fell in love. I put a ring on it um, and I haven't looked back. I've been in a corporate HR role since, well, I think it's probably going on 20 years now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, that's my not so quick story um, about how I landed here. Awesome. Really appreciate that background. So today we're talking about which areas of the business should the new HR leader oversee? And before we actually go into all those different areas of what HR should or should not manage, I first want to get some context around you in regards to what do you think the new HR leader will look like, especially post-pandemic? A lot of people have been saying that HR had its moment and that companies really have seen the power of HR, the necessity of HR, and how if you really want to say that employees are your greatest asset, then you absolutely need HR to be there to be that mission-critical strategic business partner. So what are your thoughts about your role and the role in general moving forward? Yeah. Well, listen, I have, um, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster to respond to that question, right? Because I have a little, I throw a little bit of shade at organizations, uh, who've gone through the great awakening about how valuable the HR, um, function and discipline is and how critical it is to enabling business results, um, and making it through a change, right? So for every organization out there listening right now, if you just realized, um, that your HR function is critical to your business operation, then lovingly and respectfully, shame on you. Um, but for all of us, <laughs> for all of us in this profession, yeah, good on us um, for proving, for showing versus telling how, how essential we are to a business and how essential we are, um, especially in times of material change, right? I don't know an organization out there who's made it through the last year, um, but for the, the brilliance and grace of their HR team. Right. And, and of a solid HR team. I will say, though, that for all of us HR professionals who um, who went into uh, this pandemic and this massive change for our workforces, thinking that we could be one trick ponies, joke jokes on us. Right. I think the the new HR or the HR that I um, or persona um, uh, that I that I hope has come out of this last year uh, is one that is focused on. The, the big picture, right? Really the ecosystem when it comes to people operations and, and people and culture um, and how inextricably linked every component of HR management is. I, I hope that all of us have, have, have come out of this last year at least with that, um, with that purview and also that commitment to carry forward everything we learned from this last year, right? Um, I can be more specific. I think you probably already get a sense that this is my favorite topic. So you tell me where you want to go. <laughs> where you no, that go. Was, let, me just, that was a... let, me, let me just pull out my soapbox because I really need it to be well situated so I can stand up on it um, and talk nice. about it. Nice. I appreciate that. And I want to ask you a question about something you just said. It's interesting that you mentioned HR and people operations as two different terms. And I'm wondering... Do you see them as two different things? Are they actually different? Because when we look at the market, we see this transformational shift of HR moving to people ops or having a role that has the word people in it. So chief people officer, people manager, director of people ops, people and culture. And so it, HR definitely went through this transformation through the pandemic. 
making them be perceived as mission critical. But even as you come out of this being a more mission critical and maybe strategic HR person, does that put you in the realm of people ops or is HR and people ops semantics and interchangeable? Yeah, tomato, tomato. I mean, like, I, I think that um, the, the concept, just the acronym HR uh, has a lot of baggage. Right. And so companies are trying to and HR professionals as well are trying to shake that um, older school mold that I think when people think about HR, they think about the um, compliance or the the negative employee relations aspects of it. And it's so much more. But what I'll tell you is I've held, held a variety of different titles um, uh, in my career. And at the end of the day, I'm still the HR lady. So <laughs> really, I think it is semantics. That said, I really do like the shift and the focus to um, people feels more connected than the phrase human resource does. So from that perspective and me as a um, hardwired communicator, I like the notion of it being called people and culture or people operations, but yeah, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Got it. Thanks for clearing that up. All right. So now we're going to go into the topic, which is thinking about and discussing which areas of HR or people ops or whatever you want to call the title, which areas of the business should this role and this function be running, overseeing, operating. And so instead of asking you, which do you think, I'm actually going to just go through a list and just, you could say yes, no, you could give some context, however yeah. you want to answer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm literally looking at our dashboard and I'm looking at different areas that I'm seeing, which sometimes we see HR managed, sometimes we see other people managed. So I'm looking at OKR for right now. So, and if you want to give a brief description of what that means to you too, because I try not to speak in acronyms, maybe people don't know what an OKR is or what OKR management is, but for the OKR management and implementation and best practices, yeah, who should, who should be managing that? HR yeah. or, or somebody else? Yeah, so it's interesting. I do think that there is an axis that's that that's missing, or there's some context that it's important for us to call out. Um, the, the bigger the organization, um, which usually leads to not only size but complexity, the bigger the organization, I absolutely understand the need for specialization. Um, but I do believe that OKRs or objectives and key results, as part of the employee experience and your 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 total. Um, talent management remit, I do think that that should ladder up under the HR function. Um, it would, to me, and, and I've held roles where that was driven um, by another faction of the organization. And I, I think about everything in this work that we do um, along the talent life cycle. Right. Um, and so I don't know how you split out um, growth and development from the overall picture and expect it to work. So, yes, HR. OK. What about recruiting or recruitment marketing? Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, I will say that this is where I get to flash my uh, my LinkedIn moniker. Right. I, I do believe I'm a little bit of a unicorn in this space um, because I've held specialized internal comms roles um, and employer branding and employee engagement roles that have really forced me to be a good and creative communicator and internal marketer, if you will, right? And so I have worked hard to gain a few skills in the space of recruitment marketing that make me good at it. That said, I can't do it 
without um, many more smart people around me. So what I would say is that I do believe recruitment marketing should be a collabo um, between um, HR or talent, depending upon how your organization is structured, and your external comms or marketing function. They, they should have equal accountability and responsibility um, for um, uh, driving a strategic recruitment marketing plan and then executing on it. Um, and I've had a lot of success with that model in particular my, at my last gig. Um, and at this one, let, let me let me tell the tale. Um, truthfully, um, I work hip to hip with the press or external comms um, person and we share the responsibility. and. The outcome um, is far better than if either one of us did it in isolation. So long answer to short question, but yes, and is my answer. <laughs> Got it. Okay. What about coaching? What does that look like? Uh, manager's own coaching. Um, but in terms of HR's role in that, we facilitate. So my job in HR is to provide all of the tools to be the chief enabler um, of best coaching practices, um, how to do it, when to do it, and to provide some sort of support system or framework for managers and department leads, senior leaders to hold managers uh, and employees, if I'm being honest, accountable for that cultural uh, element. Uh, but managers are responsible for coaching. Yeah, I think HR folks are responsible for providing a map to being really good at that. And when it comes to coaching across all levels, so anywhere from individual contributors all the way up to the C-suite, what does that look like? Especially when it comes to C-suite, should HR try to go find coaching companies to help the CFO and the COO? Should that be something that they're just doing on their own from their own professional development budget? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Good job, Bruce. So I, I think it should be a combination um, because I do think that, so I'll take my role, for example. I consider myself, whether <laughs> whether anybody does or, or not, um, I consider myself the HR business partner to the C-suite, right? I, I run the function. I am the senior most HR um, team member. Um, so um, for our chief team, I am their business partner. That said, I'll be the first one to tell you that uh, there, there are going to be moments where my investment is focused, singular, and maybe at least functionally self-serving. So there is a huge benefit to retaining outside coaching support, also depending upon the, the need um, or the extent to which someone could really benefit from some coaching. So um, I've worked with senior leaders before who, who get it, right? They just, they kind of get it or they've worked really hard to be in a position where they get it. And I found that, um, you know, if I only had a certain amount of money, if I had finite resources, which is uh, always the case, um, I might target or prioritize getting external coaching for some of my more complicated executives um, <laughs> and also for folks who have super complicated organizations. So I, I do think it's a mix. I think there are absolute benefits um, to external coaching, but I would never fully outsource that responsibility because that um, uh, um, inherently introduces a separation that, or a disconnectedness that we can't run a business on. Got it. What about training? And I want to give the caveat that there's a lot of industries out there that have required safety training or other types of compliance training. But 
whether it's that type of training or it's training in the sense of sales training, which a lot of the times doesn't go through HR, but some, the VP of sales, the head of sales would go and find some sales consulting firm to help them. What does that look like for HR? Involved, not involved, give them recommendations. Involved. I told you, like I am, I am empire building. Apparently, <laughs> um, you know, I've just I've had the pleasure of 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 holding roles, um, working in spaces where there was such a synergy between these centers of excellence, these functions that that you're listing, that it enabled us to do things better, quicker, smarter, fast. You name it, right? And so I am really, really attached to the notion of there being um, an ecosystem uh, set up when it comes to um, HR and all of the various um, disciplines. That said, you know, the downfall or the downside to all of these functions rolling up to HR is that sometimes forces HR leaders to make hard decisions when, when times get rough and you have to cut things, right? Um, so I, I want to throw that caveat out there because, you know, I'm sitting here talking with the famous Bruce Marable about all of my hopes and dreams, all this pie in, uh, pie in the sky um, uh, notions for how, how to do HR, right? And I think the reality is, reality is, is that HR leaders and business leaders in general often have to pick their battles. Um, so I, I just wanted to steep this in reality a bit, but, but I do think that learning and development is a, um, is best suited to be tied to the rest of the talent life cycle. It just has to be right. Um, because if the overall goal, having all of these functions ladder up to HR, I think also helps to keep HR focused on the big picture versus, on the, you know, the transactional part of, of our work. Got it. This one is probably my favorite question because it's so top of mind for so many different people and companies. East Coast or West Coast rap? Is that what you're going to ask me? That's exactly what I was going to ask I figured. you. Tupac okay. versus Biggie. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, in regards to DEI, mm. and this goes back to the question or the comment you made in regards to the size of company. A lot of companies now are hiring chief diversity officers, which by default, with them being in the C-suite, they I'm assuming they wouldn't report to the HR person because they're their own lane. And so I'm curious, what do you think about that? Should DEI and any other letters that we may add to that acronym live under HR? Yeah. Are there areas that are so important like DEI where it's impossible and it's unfair for HR to try to tackle it? as just another thing because it just is so important that it needs to be its own thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's a powerful question. And I, boy, we could sit out on the porch and talk about this for a minute. Um, listen, I, I, I think that um, uh, DEI should be an, a chief executive officer accountability, right? But in terms of who executes on it and delivers on it, I have seen scenarios where there's a, um, a distinct and discreet um, DEI discipline, um, you know, CDO that is part of the C-suite and it's slightly, it's, you know, separate from, from HR leadership. The downside of that though, is that again, Anytime you try to build programs, functions, you name it, cultural concepts for um, an organization, and you're doing it outside of the the, the overall um, employee experience, you're going to run into problems, right? So this is where that ecosystem comment that I keep making comes into play, right? Because what I this is like that classic above and below the iceberg scenario. You could have a fantastic 
um, strategy, DEI strategy, and all of the best ideas in the world to execute and implement that strategy. But if your employees are experiencing this huge commitment to DEI from the DEI side of the house, but their reality is they work in a condition where their manager does not create inclusive and safe spaces. Maybe they are the only black person on their team. They're watching their um, uh, colleagues get promoted over them and they can't help but feel like the reason they're not is because they check um, a particular um, identity box. Then you've got problems, right? So what I would, what I'd rather say is, I love the idea of it being a distinct function that gets its own seat at the table and its own attention. Um, but if HR and talent acquisition and learning and development and DEI aren't in sync, you've got more problems than you have um, not problems. I, I, I can assure you of that. Got it. That makes a lot of sense to me. And so the last question that I want to ask, as I try to think about what the audience may be thinking as they're listening to this is how should I pick my battles as an HR leader in regards to which areas should I say, hell no, this definitely needs to live within my purview and I need to manage this versus me having a marketer or a head of marketing that is really battling me or really trying to push their influence over all things marketing, including employer brand and recruitment marketing. And I just need to pick my battles and say, you know what, if you want to lead it and I give my support to make sure that it's aligned with the rest of the HR efforts, that's fine. But that's just not something I need to have equal say on. Yeah. So I promise you I was listening to you, Bruce. I'm not changing the subject. However, when you were talking just now, one thing it made me think of is the fact that what I do think uh, should be the case is that HR as a function and as a voice should have the senior most visibility, right? So an organization that has the HR function doer and decisioner pushed down multiple layers, you know, laddering up through three or four rungs to the C-suite, that is problematic. So I, I do want to call that out. And the reason I thought about that is because the scenario that you described assumes that it's up to those two people, if you will, those two functions to decide on their own, um, which battles to pick, you know, who's on first, who's the boss of what. Um, and I have been in situations before where we actually, we needed a voice of reason or a tiebreaker to say, um, this is the priority period. Um, so I want to throw that little, uh, that little uh, nugget in there. But what I would say is that um, HR leaders should always be starting with the organization's business objectives. What are the business objectives? And I think if you start there, it'll be a really, really easy story for you to tell um, for why you need X, Y, and Z, why you need to lead X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, this past year is a great example with the Great Awakening, um, you know, um, American corporations realizing that there are very distinct experiences for their employees based on um, who they are and whether they identify as Black or not. Um, all of these great awakenings have caused organizations to 
to acknowledge and recognize that diversity, equity, and inclusion need to be at the forefront of their growth conversations, their business growth conversations. Um, because of that, it's a really easy, um, it's a really easy mental leap or intellectual leap to make um, for an HR leader to say, this is where I'm going to prioritize. These are the battles that I'm going to pick. DEI must report to me or must ladder into my organization. Hell, recruitment marketing, better because we want to make sure that we are putting out content that is the most inclusive, attracts the the broadest and most diverse um, range of talent. So when it comes to picking battles, let me go back to the actual question you asked. Um, I think you start with the business strategy, your business's objectives. Um, of course, you start with the state of your organization and, and, and your employee engagement. If that's numbers, if that's, you know, um, if that's uh, any number of HR metrics, um, and and you allow that to to, to focus you. Um, I'm sorry, Bruce. I got distracted for a second. All good, and that was such a great answer. But Christopher, thank you so much for having such a fun, authentic, and educational conversation as well. This has been one of the most lively conversations that I've had in a while. So I really had a lot of fun. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. So, Christopher, where can people find you and Dagger online? Oh my goodness! Come check Dagger out. We are um, we are the place to be in Atlanta. Uh, so we are a small Atlanta-based ad agency. You can learn more about us at dagger.agency. Um, and you can find me trolling my colleagues on LinkedIn. Um, I just look up Christopher with an F Peterson. Uh, I'd be happy to make connections uh, with any and everybody interested in this HR stuff. Awesome. Thank you for that. And we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. So if you enjoyed this episode as much as Christopher and I did making it, then please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it shows that we're providing great content and that you care about us because who doesn't want to know that people care? Also, if this is your very first time listening to one of our interviews and you came here because you're either already a huge super fan of Christopher and you just had to hear what they were going to say or you thought that this topic was super compelling, but now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.